The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Mark 12, verses 1 through 12. So you can open your Bibles with me. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others... Some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Wake up a little bit. (laughs) Good morning, downtown family. Good Good morning. Good to see you all. We're going to be continuing in our series today uh, called The Giver. Uh, So we're going to be spending some time in that parable, uh, Mark chapter 12. But before we go uh, any further, I just want to spend some time in prayer. So let's go before our king and pray before we get into his word. Uh, Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Thank you for today. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to gather and to spend time with you. Father God, I pray that I would decrease so that you would increase in this place. Father God, move me out of the way and speak to your people through your word. Um, Father God, I pray that you would sanctify your people, that you would purify our worship, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged. Father God, help us to see you more clearly uh, so that we can know how worthy you are, Father God. Uh, we, we ask these and many other blessings in your mighty sons. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Ashley and I rent an apartment in downtown Memphis. And so we rent the place. But sometimes I forget that we rent the place. And I start thinking and acting like I own the place. And sometimes I got to be put in my place when I think I own the place. And so in particular, one incident happened when I acted like I was going to uh, own the place. And so uh, we, we, we rent the apartment. And when we signed the lease agreement, we were promised that we were going to have a gate around our parking lot and so a year had gone by and we still didn't have this gate around our parking lot and so I said Ashley I'm fed up with this I've had enough baby I'm gonna go down to that office I'm gonna tell that property manager what's up and I'm, I'm gonna put them in their place and, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stick it to the man my dad used to be uh, the president of the uh, 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 he, he was the president of the homeowners association in the neighborhood watching my neighborhood so I, this is in my blood I got this I know I know how to get this straight and so that's what I'm thinking I'm all big and buff and bad and bold uh, headed to uh, the office on that afternoon 
And then common sense started to talk to me. Common sense started to whisper in my ear and said, Terrence, you better calm down. Y'all are just renting. Y'all don't own this place. And if you go in there and get y'all kicked out of this apartment about some gate, your wife is going to kill you. <laughs> and so I walk, I walk in and common sense is still whispering in my ear. And then, so there's somebody at the front desk, it's a lady that I didn't quite recognize. And so I, I, she, she asked me, sir, can I help you today? I said, yes, I would like to file a complaint. Things are going the way I thought they were going to go at this moment in my head. They're going to plan. I said, yes, I would like to file a complaint. And uh, I hear this voice from on high from upstairs saying, Terrence, is that you? What's the property manager? <laughs> I can hear the authority in her voice. Terrence, is that you? That sounds like Terrence down there. And this is the moment where I'm supposed to be big and bad and bold. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> that's me. How can I help you? And this is the moment where I'm supposed to be uh, tough. But then the common sense kicks in and says, Terrence, you, you're renting this place. You need to talk to her like you're renting this place. And what was supposed to be this big, bold moment turns into, I, I was just wondering if the gate for the apartment <laughs> is going to get put up anytime soon. <laughs> and she just said, yes, we're, we're working on it. And that was it. That was it. <laughs> See, you have to manage things a little differently when you're managing someone else's stuff. When you're managing something that belongs to someone else, you have to be a little bit more careful because it's theirs. And you ultimately have to give it back. And the big idea is this. We treat things differently when we know that we have to give them back. We treat things differently when we know that we have to give them back. Today we're going to be talking about stewardship. And the stewardship, the definition of stewardship is managing God's resources. And stewardship begins with this. It begins with acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. That's where stewardship begins. Stewardship is predicated upon the fact that Christ is the ultimate authority and the owner of all things. Everything is his. Every breath, every dollar, every fiber of your existence, every second of our life belongs to him. And when we lose grip of this reality, that's when we begin to slip and fall downhill. When we uh, begin to use that personal possessive pronoun, my. When we start to use that personal possessive pronoun, my. That's when we get in trouble. This is my house. This is my money. This is my stuff. Kids, this is my toy. This is my land. This is my country. When we, we, we begin to talk like that, we begin to drift into very dangerous territory. My, 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 my. And we, be, we tend to be a very possessive people because we're not fully oriented to the fact that we are borrowing even the very breath in our lungs from God. Stewardship begins with acknowledging that everything, 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 even the stuff that you bought, worked for, went to school for, everything belongs to God. 
As we come to our text, we see a group of people who don't quite understand the fact that they are renters. They still think that they are owners. And they have been entrusted with a great stewardship opportunity. The people who Jesus is talking to in this passage have been entrusted with God's stuff and with God's people. And they have, they have supposed to have uh, been managers of God's stuff and God's people, but they've been doing a poor job of stewardship. And, and Jesus reads them this parable as a way to, to clear things up so they can quite understand uh, more clearly what he's trying to get them to see, which is that they've been failing at managing God's stuff and God's people. So Jesus reads, Jesus quotes a parable. And what is a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That's what a parable is. It's when God uses the everyday stuff, because he knows that we understand that. He uses the everyday stuff to connect to the bigger, eternal stuff. So a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus is about to talk to these people uh, using this parable. And he would often talk in uh, agrarian agricultural language because he was talking to agricultural people. He didn't try to go over their head. He didn't try to sound smart and quote Greek and Hebrew, even though they already spoke Hebrew. He didn't try to go over their heads. Um, but he, he spoke everyday common language. So he speaks in the form of a parable, uh, talking about leasing uh, land. And so I want us to read it again, and you guys should have a handout with, with, the, with the ESV version uh, of this passage on it. Um, and I want us to read it together. Then we're going to go back and unpack it, because there's a lot going on in this parable uh, that Jesus is telling to these group of people. If you got it, say, I got it. Cool. I think that's enough of us. All right. And I'll begin reading this. And let's read together. One, two, three. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the wine press, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and he killed him. And so were many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. He has still one another beloved son. Finally, sent to him, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come let us kill him. And the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become this cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived they had told the parable against him. So they left him and went away. So there's a lot 
going on in this parable. And for us to fully grasp it, we have to get a broader understanding of the context. And so if you look at Mark 12, it begin, this is the beginning of the chapter, it begins with, and he begins to speak to them in parables. So it begins with, and, which lets us know that there's something real important that happened in Mark 11 that we got to catch up to. So we're going to have to spend some time in Mark 11. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there because we're going to spend a little bit of time there. And so he began, and he begins to speak to them. So it begins with, and, and he begins to speak to them. Who is the them? That's these uh, chief priests and scribes. Uh, these were the religious leaders of the day. Uh, they had been entrusted to manage the temple and the sacrifices. They had been given a, a big responsibility. Uh, and they were, they were charged with being the stewards of God's people. And so we have to go back to Mark 11 uh, to get a more clear understanding of this conflict between Jesus and these religious leaders. There's, it's, a, it's a fight brewing. It's getting heated. Uh, it's, getting, it's getting hot. Under the collar, some people about to roll up their sleeves, they're ready to fight Jesus, they are mad. So we have to look at Mark 11 to see why these people are so mad at Jesus. So let's, this is a Tuesday, and all of this is happening in the middle of Holy Week. And so this parable is being read to these uh, Pharisees and uh, chief priests and scribes on a Tuesday. But Jesus has been making them very mad since Sunday on Holy Week, okay? And so uh, Jesus, let's start. Let's start on Sunday. Jesus uh, comes into uh, Jerusalem on a donkey with this triumphal entry. It's a big deal. It's pandemonium. People are going crazy. They're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're acknowledging Jesus as king. And these uh, chief priests and scribes are not quite too happy about that. This is a big day, a big moment. Let me get you into their, their world a little bit. Imagine if the Memphis Tigers basketball team won the national championship and there's this big parade in downtown Memphis and there's this caravan of cars and there's people throwing candy and, and confetti and it's going crazy and Penny Hardaway's riding down on the vehicle with a big championship trophy in his hand and everybody's going crazy. That's the feel of Jerusalem when Jesus comes in on that donkey uh, uh, on that Sunday. And so he, he, the city's in an uproar because of this man and the chief priests are like, who is this dude? Who is this nobody from Nazareth? Uh, Joseph's boy. The carpenter. Uh, who, who is this and why, and why are they uh, following after him like this? So that's Tuesday. I mean, that's Sunday. And, and, and the people were already mad, and this is just Sunday. Monday comes around. Um, and so if Jesus hadn't gotten into enough trouble with the chief uh, priest and scribes, he walks into the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was the most significant religious uh, building in the world. It's the most significant religious building in the world. This is where people would come and make their offerings and their sacrifices to, to the Lord. So the most significant religious building in the world, on the most significant religious week in the world, Passover week, Jesus walks into the temple. So he walks into the temple and he sees uh, money changers exchanging money in the, in the entrance of the temple. And he sees people selling animals in the entrance of the temple. Not necessarily a bad thing because people have to travel quite a distance to get to this temple. And so people couldn't necessarily bring a lamb or a pigeon or something with them. So they'd actually buy that when they got to the temple. And so they, they're doing the exchange in there. Uh, and people would travel from great distances and they had foreign currency. So they couldn't, they couldn't spend that foreign currency in the temple so they have to get Get their money exchanged there. Not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself, right? 
But people rig the system to take advantage of other people, and that's what got Jesus a little mad. Well, he got big mad. That's what got Jesus big mad. And so he sees this. That, that he sees what's going on. And let me explain a little bit more clearly what's, what's happening. The foreigners are bringing in foreign currency, and they, are, they have these crazy exchange rates on the currency. So they're getting money off of these people's exchange. They're not just exchanging the money. They're making money off of exchanging the money. And they're getting rich. And they're fattening their pockets off of these people exchanging their money. They're taking advantage of the foreigners. Taking advantage of the foreigners. Not a good thing now. That wasn't a good thing then. They were taking advantage of the foreigners. Taking advantage of these people's money. Alright? So that's happening. Um, also, uh, the people were selling the animals at a higher price than they should have been selling them. If you look back at Leviticus, it says, If a man can't afford a lamb, he should make his sacrifice with a dove or a pigeon. Right? That's, that's the cheaper sacrifice. And so, uh, what they do is, they start to overprice even the doves and the pigeons. This is, this is what the poor people were supposed to buy. And so, they are taking advantage of the foreigners, and they're, and they're manipulating the poor all at the same time. So that's what's happening in God's house. And Jesus gets big, mad. And now let's see what happens. And we're going to read Mark chapter 11. So what would Jesus do if he saw this type of injustice? Mark 11, uh, verses 11 through 15. And this is Jesus and his disciples. It said, And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He's kicking people out. He's like, get out of here. He's kicking people out. And he overturned the tables of the money change. He said, get this stuff out of here. He's flipping tables. Uh, and, and he says, uh, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Remember, the pigeons were for the poor. So he took their seats and he flipped those over. He says, uh, stop manipulating the poor. Stop oppressing the poor. In verse 16, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Do you hear that? He said he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He shut that place down. Jesus shut it down. He said, stop with this fake worship. And they said he was teaching as he was doing it. I would have loved to see this. He's flipping tables, turning over seats, and teaching all at the same time. Jesus is a bad man. Verse 17. And he, and, he, and, and he was teaching them and saying to them, It is not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Whooping people, flipping tables, teaching all at the same time. Jesus is a bad man. Jesus was cleansing the temple. He was cleansing the tem temple of the false worship that was taking place. See, it looked like worship, but really it was a tainted business model that was taking advantage of the people's hope for salvation. Jesus says, no, I've come to make things right so that my Father can get the glory that he deserves and so that the people can have a real relationship with God. He says, we're shutting, we shutting this down. We, we're going to do something different. I'll talk, to, I'll talk to us in 2019. Friends, God doesn't just want your Sundays. He wants your heart. He, he, he's not impressed with just carrying on with the ritual. And I know, let's, let's, let me go back a little bit as well before I go there. The, the scribes and the chief priests knew exactly what was going on. Now, they're the ones who have been entrusted to manage 
uh, God's house and God's resources. They knew, they, they, they saw it. And so they, and then guess what? They were making money off of it, so they were profiting. And so this, this, is, not, this is not a good thing. And, and so they, they, they overlooked it, and that's another reason why J- Jesus is, is so upset. They, the, the chief priests and scribes were happy with the ritual uh, continuing to go on. As long as the ritual was going on and the money was coming in, the chief priests and scribes weren't really bothered by what was going on. And so... Now I want to fast forward us back to 2019. God doesn't care about us just keeping the rituals. Just keeping the rituals is not what God wants. He wants a relationship. He wants your heart. And it doesn't matter how much you give or how much you, how loud you sing or how good you preach or uh, uh, any of that stuff. How much you volunteer. If your heart is not with God, it is not real. We're just going through the motions. We're just going through the routines. I, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine who, who runs a, a, a nonprofit organization here in Memphis, and he was talking with a potential donor, and the donor said to him, yeah, I, I have a multi-million dollar business, and I give about 15% of that away to, to nonprofits in Memphis, and, and I, don't, I don't really, I'm a Christian, uh, but... I know that I give this money because I know that God's going to kick me in the rear one day and I'm just bargaining with him by making sure that I give this money. So here, here's a check for, for $40,000. Um, and he does that for a lot of organizations. And I think he, he's playing a very dangerous game uh, by thinking that you can bargain with God and that God is impressed or, or pleased by you writing a big check when he, he doesn't have your heart. Friends, that is, that's the law. We're not living by the law. God is not impressed with your check. God is not even impressed with your service if he doesn't have your heart. And if we go through the motions and and go through the rituals and play the game, one day we're going to have a very rude awakening when we stand face to face with the king. He he is not playing games. And that's what Jesus was doing when he was flipping these tables uh, in, in the temple. He said, I, I, this, is, this, is, this means nothing to me. This is, a, this is a business. This is a game. I came to restore true worship. And, and friends, I'll say this. American Bible Belt Christians, we, we got to be careful. Uh, the South is the most dangerous place to be a Christian because it's the easiest place to fake it. It's the most dangerous place to be a Christian because it's the easiest place to fake it. And we don't look down our nose at Israel. We look in the mirror at Israel. I've I've lived in Dallas, Bible Belt. I've lived in Memphis, Bible Belt. And I can tell you something about Dallas and Memphis. We're going to have some church. This is what we do. We're going to have church. Uh, but we, we want to examine ourselves to make sure that the Lord really has our hearts. So let us be serious about holding our hearts up to God and allowing Him to examine our hearts so we can be sure that we are right with Him and not just playing games. Uh, There's nothing scarier than getting to the end of the road and realizing that you were just playing a game. And that's what the chief priests and the scribes were coming to a realization of. Um, and and, and they're, not, they're not happy about it when they're confronted with their sin and the reality of the mischief that they've been playing around with. They're not happy about it. Let's read verse 18. It says, And the chief priests and scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. When encountered with the truth and the reality of God, they were seeking for a way to destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when, even, uh, when evening came, they went out of the city. 
They, they're, they're tired of Jesus uh, at this point. And this is just what? Just Monday. It's just Monday. He's just been in town, been in town for a couple of days, and they're already tired of him. They're already ready to destroy him. For whatever reason, when our sinful hearts are confronted with the truth of God, sometimes that can just make us hate God more. But instead, the truth of God, being, being confronted with the truth of God, should, should, should make us want to submit to him because he's good. But it's hard for us to believe that sometimes. And that's what the chief priests and the scribes are struggling with. And so, I told you we had to spend some time in Mark 11 before Mark 12 began to make sense. And so we're still in Mark 11. And now we're on Tuesday. Now to Tuesday. Sunday, he marches in on the donkey fanfare. Tuesday, he's flipping tables in the temple. I mean, Monday, he's flipping tables in the temple. And now Tuesday. Verse 27. Mark captures the, be- the beginning of the verse here. He says... And they came again to Jerusalem. So Jesus is back. And he was walking in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So now they know who he is. At first he came in. He was kind of obscure. Now they're coming to him. Like stop him before he does anything else in this place. And they came again to him. And he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? In other words, Jesus, who do you think you are? Jesus said to them, Jesus is so clever, he's so quick on his feet. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So he said, you want to ask me a question? Okay, let me ask you a question. If you answer my question, I'll answer your question. So he he gets in there with them. And um, he says, uh, was the baptism of John, John the Baptist, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Now that's a hard question for the chief priest to answer. Here's why. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And he was baptizing a lot of people. So was the baptism from, from, you want to know what my authority comes from? Let me ask you a question. Was the baptism from John the Baptist, was that authorized by God or was that authorized by men? And that messed them up. And here's why. Because if it was authorized from God, that means that uh, Jesus is the forerunner of John the Baptist. That means that uh, Jesus is right, basically. Because it was prophesied that the, uh, John the Baptist would be the forerunner for the Messiah. All right? And so, uh, he, if, John, if, if John the Baptist's baptism is correct and if it's authorized by God, that means Jesus is right. And, and Jesus can't be right in this scenario. And so, but if John the Baptist's baptism is from man, from man people are going to be mad. You know why? Because a lot of people love John the Baptist and they've been getting baptized by John the Baptist. So they're in this rough scenario. And so they huddle up. And here's in verse 31. It says, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We don't know. We do not know, Jesus. That was the answer that they gave. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. See, they, they didn't want to give Jesus the credit of saying that his, his, uh, the guy who baptized him actually had authority from God because that would mean that Jesus is right and that Jesus is the Messiah and they can't admit that. They would throw everything off. Uh, but they also couldn't say that it came from man because they feared the people's approval and they feared that uh, if, if they made the people mad, the people would stop giving and stop uh, following them. They were running a business. They had to keep the customers happy. 
They weren't too happy about, they weren't too worried about the authority. They weren't too worried about the truth or, or a lie or anything. They just didn't want to mess up the business. It was Holy Week. It's a big week for them. And they expect some things to come in. And so they're just going to play it cool and say they don't know. So Jesus, uh, and this is where we get to the parables. And so Jesus said, well, let me, let me clarify this for you. And, it's, and, began to, and then he began speaking to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and, and, leaned, and leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit in the vineyard. Who is the man? And I got you guys a handout for you to follow on with me. Who is the man? The man, the landowner in this parable is God. That's who, that's who the landowner is. That's God. All right, he planted a vineyard. Who is the vineyard? The vineyard is Israel. We get the reference for that from Isaiah 5. I'm going to read it for you. Isaiah 5, 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasing. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, and for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So God is the, the, the landowner who planted the people. Uh, uh, the vineyard, God is the landowner who planted the vineyard. The vineyard is Israel. All right, and so in Israel is the vineyard of God. These are the people that God planted. Right? These are the people that He He gave His law. These are the people that He rescued uh, from Egypt. I don't know if I'm losing my mic here. These are the people that He rescued from Egypt. These are the people that He made a covenant with. These are His people that He planted. They're His vineyard. And as with anyone who plants a vineyard, there's an expectation of a harvest. And what was that harvest to look like? That harvest was to look like uh, the faithfulness of God. People. He planted these people to be to be faithful to him, and he's he planted these people to bear fruit. And so when he comes back, he wants to see his people faithful and bearing fruit. He wants to see them bearing the fruit of love. He wants them to uh, see them bearing the fruit of of kindness. He wants to see them bearing the fruit of love for God and for each other. And so he's saying that I'm I'm not I'm not finding that I'm not seeing that. And so uh, God is the landowner. Israel is the vineyard. Um, who are the tenants? Who, who are the tenants that were entrusted with managing this vineyard? The tenants. All right, let me, let me flip this a little bit. Check, check. All right, there we go. So God is the landowner. Israel is the vineyard. And the tenants are the religious leaders who were entrusted to care for the vineyard. Right, and these are religious, the religious leaders of Israel, such as the priests and the scribes, and even the previous kings. God entrusted His people uh, to to these leaders. All right, and so if we read a little further, it talks about servants in this parable. Who are the servants? The servants are the prophets that God had sent to speak truth to His people. And every time God sent a prophet to speak truth to His people, they would kill His prophets. Uh, and, and so uh, Jesus is basically saying God has sent you prophet after prophet after prophet and every time God sends someone to you to speak the truth to you you will kill that person alright so the servants are the prophets so who is the son I think we might get that one the son is Jesus and so God has been so patient to Israel for all of these years sending prophet after prophet after prophet and finally he sends his son Jesus and Jesus is saying to the fair, I mean to the scribes and the chief priests, I know what happened to the son in this story. The son gets killed, so I know you guys are going to kill me. 
right? And so it's Tuesday. I'm speaking to this parable to you on a Tuesday. I know you're going to arrest me on Thursday. I know you're going to crucify me on Friday. I already, I already see that coming. But here's the good news that he is arrested on Thursday, crucified on Friday, but he resurrects on Sunday. Jesus sees the full picture. They think they have him trapped. They think they have him got. They are plotting to kill him and take his life. But he said, I see the full picture in HD. I know what's going to happen. And God gets the glory at the end. Let's continue with that parable. So what will the owner do after they kill his son? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Jesus says this, have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? You're rejecting me now, but I'm going to resurrect from the dead after you kill me. And, and, and I am the chief cornerstone, the one who's holding the house of God together. And there's another group in this, in this, uh, in this parable. We have the, we have the, uh, we have God, we have Israel, we have the tenants, we have the servants, we have the son. And it mentions this other group called the others. And that's the group that I really, really want to be a part of, the others. Because the others are the group that God is going to give of the vineyard to. It's the group that is going to reign with God forever. The others are the church that consists of the Jews and the Gentiles. That's us. And Lord knows I want to be one of those others. Amen. After he brings judgment to his enemies, he says uh, that, I will, that the others will receive the vineyard. Friends, Jesus is Lord. Like we said already, he knew that all of these events were going to take place. And he's the sovereign king and nothing that happened to him is out of his control. And, and good news to us, nothing that happens to us is out of his control. And one day the church is going to reign with him forever. And he was just explaining that with this parable to those people at that time who thought that they were going to kill him and, and overthrow him. He's saying, no, this, this has a bigger, better end to it. Amen. I want to leave us with some application points uh, today. As we've talked about this, uh, we, we're, we're still stewards to this day. All right. And so the first application point is this, and it should be in your notes as well. You and I are the new temple of God, and we should live as such. You and I are the new temple of God, and we should live as such. Just as Jesus cleansed the literal temple inside of Israel, he wants to turn over some tables inside of our hearts. There are some things that we, we may be holding on to too tightly. And we need to ask the Lord to show us what those things are. So that, we can, so that we can give more of our hearts to him. So he's flipping tables in that physical temples, but he also wants to flip some tables inside of us. And don't hold on to him, let him do it. So that you can experience him for who he truly is and have some real worship. Uh, point number two, you and I are renters and not owners, and we should manage our resources as such. I'll say that again. I don't care what you own, what company, house, car. You and I are, are, are renters and not owners, and we should manage our resources as such. The money that we make, uh, the time that we have, the gifts and talents that we have are all on loan. They've been given to us from God. And so that means you steward it well. 
even if you don't like the job, that don't mean that you go to work and, and be lazy or cheat the clock or have a bad attitude. Like God has given you that job to steward well uh, for his glory. Um, that doesn't mean that we take advantage of people and manipulate them. That's what we saw the chief scribes and Pharisees do. Now, we, we, we steward it well and we steward it right to the glory of God. And lastly, you and I have, been, have limited time on earth. We have limited time on earth, so invest eternally. You and I have limited time on earth, so invest eternally. So Jesus Christ lived, he died, and he rose so that we can have a relationship with him. There is no greater use of your life than to give your life to him. Everything else is passing away. And you don't want to fake it, right? You don't want to fake it either. You want to fully give your life to him. The scribes said to Jesus, who do you, who do you think you are, Jesus by what authority do you have to take control of my life and to take charge of my life? And some of us may be there this morning. We may be saying to Jesus, who do you think you are to run my life? By what authority are you doing these things in my life? And friends, I just want to encourage you once again that Jesus is in charge of everything. And stewardship of this life begins with acknowledging that this life first and foremost came from him and so God, God is uh, going to ultimately bring judgment uh, on his enemies and this passage uh, can even make God, God look kind of uh, hard but God, God is a, a just God he is who he is and I'm not going to make an excuse for what he said he's going to do that's what he said he's going to do for those who don't accept his authorities. They'll be separated from him forever. But what we see in this, this passage is that God was also very, 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 very gracious and patient with these people. He sent one servant and that servant left empty-handed. A lot of us know we would have gave up after that. We wouldn't have sent nobody else uh, after, they killed, uh, my, after he killed your first servant. None of us would have kept going. God is so gracious and so patient and so loving that he sent a second servant. And, 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 and it says that they, they struck him on the head. A more clear explanation of what they did, they bashed his head in. Right? So that's what happened to the second servant. A lot of us know we would have gave up after that. And then it says that he sent a third servant. And they killed him. A lot of us would have called the police and been done with it after that. And, and what does he do? Okay, they, they, they sent this servant away after they beat him up. They bashed this servant in the head. They killed this servant. What, what am I going to do now? God sends his son. He's a gracious and patient and loving God. He doesn't give up on you. He doesn't give up on me. And this morning, this, this very morning, he's patient with both you and I. So patient. That he sends his son as a gift. And if we place faith in his son, if we surrender our lives to, to his son, there is no better life than that. It's not an easy life. It's not a perfect life. But it's the only real true life. Our God is gracious. Our God is patient. Let us not take advantage of that patience and kindness and view it as weakness. Let's pray. 
Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name. Thank you for your love, Father God. Um, thank you, Lord, that you, that you sent your son. Father God, I pray that we wouldn't overlook the grace, that we wouldn't overlook the mercy. God, we all fall short and we know it. God, help us to find our way to you. For those who feel distant and far from God, help them to find their way to you. God, this life is short. But in you we have eternal life. And I just pray that every person under my voice would have that. That they would know you, Lord. God, help us to be good stewards of the things that you've placed in our hands. And help us to hold on to them loosely. Give us wisdom and, and show us how to manage everything that you've given us in such a way that it brings you glory. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.